Hello and welcome to episode 29 of The Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein, and this episode is being brought to you by Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And if you go on the site and sign up, you get a 50% welcome bonus with the code BLUEWIRE on your first deposit. It was a fairly quiet week around the Lions, except for one day and really just a six-hour stretch late Wednesday night into Thursday morning where there was a thought the Lions were potentially shopping Matthew Stafford. It was quickly shot down by general manager Bob Quinn, who basically went to every outlet that reached out to say, nope, not true, 100% false. And all of that makes sense. We'll get into it a little bit more during the pod bag in a few minutes, but just a couple of words for the wise as we enter the silly season of the NFL. Not every rumor you hear will be true. Agents, players, and front offices will all use media members this time of year to try and get messages across, create markets for players, or just use subterfuge for their actual plans when it comes to free agency or the draft. It happens every year with almost every team. Teams will bring players in on top 30 visits to do reconnaissance if they play them in the future, much more than they might even be interested in said player. That doesn't happen with every player, and sometimes you can take a player taking a top 30 visit to the bank, but it does happen, and teams will openly admit that, oftentimes well after the case. Remember the last episode where Lomas Brown said he never spoke to the Lions until two picks before they took him? That happens too. Remember Frank Ragnow a couple of years ago with the Lions was another example of the team keeping their interests incredibly quiet until they took him. So we'll help you sift through it all as this goes on between February, March, and April. And that's part of what the weekly pod bag is for, to address those types of questions. So never hesitate to reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram about that. As far as Stafford, whenever you hear trade rumors, understand these things to help quell what you're hearing. The Lions restructured him late last year, making it more expensive to move him this offseason. Detroit would swallow an unprecedented cap hit if it traded him. And the Lions need to show improvement in 2020, where Matt Patricia, Bob Quinn, and their entire staff will likely be out of work. So trusting a rookie quarterback for that is highly unlikely. Is it possible the Lions draft a quarterback this year? Absolutely. At number three, again, not likely. Could Detroit sign a veteran? Sure. Would that veteran be the starter? Probably not unless it's Tom Brady, and again, Detroit's cap scenario and everything we just talked about with Matthew Stafford would all but render that possibility moot. So when you're hearing things about Matthew Stafford over the next few months, just remember everything that I just talked about. Take a deep breath and understand, while it's not 100%, there's a really, really, really good chance Matthew Stafford is Detroit's quarterback this season. Now, on to your questions, and if you have a question for a future pod bag, use the hashtag RothShow on Twitter, or leave a message in our Facebook group, The Michael Rothstein Show, which you should go and follow anyway. Or you can leave us a nice review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and leave your question in the comments with a nice fat five-star rating, and I'll get to it there as well in the next episode. On to the questions. 
Nate Simons, at what Simons says, asks, if the Lions get lucky and Chase Young falls to number three, who do you see as potential second round picks? So I find this an interesting question, Nate, because I've been thinking the Lions would likely use a second round pick or a late first if they trade back from number three and can secure one on an edge rusher of some sort because Chase Young in that scenario is likely not there. So I was looking at Utah's Bradley Anye or Michigan's Josh Uche or, and we'll get to him a little bit more in a second, but Notre Dame's Julian Aquara. And we've discussed those guys almost weekly on here. But if the Lions are able to pull the coup and land Chase Young, it opens up a bunch more possibilities. Would the Lions go offense, stay on defense? With all of their needs and not knowing what free agency will look like quite yet for them, the possibilities are endless. So with that in mind, here are some guys I would target. Wisconsin linebacker Zach Bond. Decent chance he's gone by the time the Lions pick him round two. But if he's there, he would make sense. He's not quite as versatile as... And Isaiah Simmons, who would potentially be available at number three. But he can be an outside pass rusher for Detroit and likely better in coverage than Jared Davis or Devon Kennard currently are. So he would give the Lions more of a complete linebacker. Notre Dame edge rusher Julian Aquara, who I just mentioned a couple moments ago, would mean Detroit would be doubling down on the position early, but it's a position to me of great need. It might seem like a bit much, except remember... Julian Aquara was a top 10 talent until a broken fibula ended his season at Notre Dame. The Lions are going to know a lot about him too because, as I just slipped up a second ago, not purposely, his older brother is Romeo Aquara, one of Detroit's defensive ends and a player that the Lions have gotten a decent amount out of in his two years in Detroit. In this scenario, what might be potentially interesting is doubling up on edge rushers could push Romeo Aquara a little bit more toward the roster bubble. Clemson corner AJ Terrell had a rough championship game, but he's a good cornerback who has good man-to-man skills, is sticky in coverage. Tackling is a problem there potentially, but that can be taught. He could eventually be a Darius Slay replacement, and we'll get into that more here a little bit, but he would pair well with him as a rookie along with last year's late round pick Amani Owarie in 2020 as outside corners. This is also the earliest spot I could see the Lions taking a quarterback, say if Jacob Eason from Washington were still available. Still, I think that's unlikely, and if Detroit really wanted to do that, they would possibly look to try to trade back into the first round to get the fifth-year option on whatever quarterback they'd want, again, because Matthew Stafford will likely be around in 2020. But a quarterback is going to be a consideration throughout the draft. And just as a tease, you'll hear from a potential future Lions quarterback later this week on the podcast. Lastly, I would look at all sorts of offensive linemen from TCU's Lucas Nyang to USC's Austin Jackson as potential tackles to Michigan's Cesar Ruiz and Wisconsin's Tyler Baidez, and I'm sure I just butchered his name, as interior players. Running back will be a possibility if Ohio State's J.K. Dobbins or Wisconsin's Jonathan Taylor is around. Wide receiver could be a possibility as well, especially with Marvin Jones in a contract year. But this is a deep receiver class, so the Lions could potentially wait later on to get a quality receiver, unless it's uh, C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy way up in round one, which would probably require a tradeback situation. But maybe a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones, who was 
light on production but heavy on potential, say in round three or round four, that to me would make sense at receiver. David, who's at David Z with a whole bunch of E's at the end, asks, what would J.D. McKissick's price range be? And do you think the Lions will try to keep him with his skills catching out of the backfield being a plus? So J.D. McKissick is a restricted free agent this offseason, and with a potential original round tender of just north of $2.1 million, I can't see the Lions doing that at that price. But it's entirely possible he's back for less if McKissick is willing to do that. He had a clear role in Detroit's offense the first half of the year as a pass-catching back, but that waned as the season went on. It's possible the Lions could see growth in Ty Johnson, and he could potentially take that role, or they could use a draft pick to really fill what McKissick does. McKissick has fans on the Lions coaching staff, there's no question about that, but it might not be enough to bring him back. Plus, there's a chance he might have a market strong enough to get him a little bit more money than the Lions were willing to pay him. We'll be back right after this break with more questions. So we're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, Major League Baseball opening day, they're all right around the corner. It's my favorite stretch of the sporting year, and Bet Online has you covered for all of your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The best part, when you do, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. I'm really looking forward to watching it, and we can't think of a better way to wager on that fight than to do it with using actual free money. Head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's super easy to sign up, and if you're already in a betting, it's a great way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. Drew Markham, who is at Drew Markham on Twitter, asks, is Josh Norman a fit and what would the money look like for him? Well, Drew, that's tough to say because we don't know where Norman is as a player anymore. He clearly wasn't a fit in Washington, although that entire situation was a mess. And at age 32, there is reason to be concerned. Consider what Spotrack has as an average annual salary for 31-year-old Chris Harris at $11 million per year. Would the Lions be willing to pay Norman that? Would they be willing to pay him 8 or $9 million a year, not knowing exactly what he has left? Because he might end up asking for that much. Norman used to be one of the best corners in the NFL and could fit as a number two in Detroit opposite Slay. I just think he might end up costing too much. If Norman were willing to play on a lesser salary, say in the 5 to $6 million range, or maybe even a little north of that, Potentially, it's a consideration. But as a high-end corner, I can't see it happening. Not at age 32. Seku fan account at the Gib 2 asks, Is a wife's Instagram story reacting to a blog a source? So this is referencing what we talked about at the top about Matthew Stafford. And to be clear, it's all about that report and him being shopped for weeks to teams, which is what NBC4 reported 
last week and something general manager Bob Quinn debunked to me and others as 100% false. Local news station, again, WDIV, with Bernie Smilovitz as its anchor, then doubled down on that report and said they stand by their reporting, which, if they believe it, they should. But their reasoning, which in there talked a little bit about Kelly Stafford's post on Instagram, to me was a little bit shaky. Yes, there are definitely times where Twitter and Instagram can become a source for news or for a story as long as you do the necessary back-end reporting on it. And we see that all the time with Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski. They are masters at reporting, and they break stuff on Twitter all the time. Jeff Passan does as well in baseball. And yeah, those are legitimate sources for news because they're getting it from their sources. So also, it can be used in other ways. For instance, when I wrote about Armonte Bryant needing a kidney last year, my initial tip on that came from a post Bryant made himself that no one really seemed to follow up on back in October. Persistence made that happen in talking to his wife and to Armonte over and over to get them to trust me to tell their story. But It all came initially from that. So there can be legitimacy to it. And considering some of the relationships the Stafford family has with Hank Winchester, who's another reporter at WDIV, it's pretty easy to connect the dots to see where this potentially came from. And that's why there was some legitimacy to it until Bob Quinn said, no, not true, because of those relationships that some people at WDIV have built. But if I'm reporting, I'm also looking at the mechanics of the deal, which we covered at the top of this podcast, which would have made moving Stafford both unlikely and unpalatable for the Lions unless they receive some sort of godfather type of offer from the start. So again, as I said at the top, just remember that. Zack Snyder, who's at Zack Snyder 23, asks, do I think the Lions should at least be putting on that they want to deal Matthew Stafford and draft Tua Tagliavoa to raise it and Washington's pick value and possibly enable them to snag Chase Young? And Martin Senfer asks, why are there still rumors that the Lions trade Matthew Stafford? So we've been talking about this a lot, and it goes a little bit into what I was talking about with the last question about Matthew Stafford. And yeah, I think that's part of what could have happened here with the Matthew Stafford situation. The Lions need to poker face as much as possible if they want to net a massive haul in a trade-down scenario. Or to have a team trade down with Washington so Chase Young falls to them at number three. The more others throughout the league think that there's a multiple suitors for the number three pick, which is probable or that the Lions might take Tua on their own, which is much less likely, the more a team that really wants Tua or Justin Herbert is going to make a larger offer to secure their draft pick. It's called creating a market and a smokescreen the Lions should absolutely be doing. The problem so far is it's been pretty transparent when that's been happening, especially since Bob Quinn has said multiple times now they aren't shopping Matthew Stafford, and he wants him to be their quarterback in 2020. Yet rumors will persist because it's that time of year. Just don't believe every rumor you hear over the next two months because it'll drive you crazy. But here's the other thing with Tua at the Lions at number three. Detroit would be silly to play its hand if it wanted to take Tua and move Stafford, even with the money. Because before the draft, 
If you're doing that, all that would need to happen is for a team to throw gobs of things at Washington, leapfrog Detroit, and then all of a sudden the Lions are without Stafford, without Tua, and likely going with Justin Herbert or a veteran they signed on the free agent market. It's an interesting free agent market, but those quarterback destinations will likely be known before the draft anyway. So again, it just wouldn't make sense. Ohio's Lions asks, is Slay valued as a first rounder by other teams looking to trade? Honestly, probably not, and it's probably why the Lions will keep Slay for 2020. Part of the issue here is Slay's contract in that it's a one-year deal. We discussed this on an earlier podcast, but if the Lions told Slayer they were going to trade him and allowed him through his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, to seek out a long-term contract before making a deal, then maybe it's possible. Or if Slay knew a palatable long-term contract were coming with the move, maybe it's possible. But otherwise, a team would probably not part with a first-rounder for a one-year rental. This isn't the NBA. But all it takes is one team, and if that team is willing to make that move at this point, I could see it happening. Especially if Detroit gets to the draft and, say, takes Jeffrey Okuda at number three, and then wants to get back into the first round late to snag another player. Maybe at that point, Darius Slade becomes an interesting piece to get that second player. RJ Burnett, who's at RJBurnett67, asks, The best case scenario for a trade on draft day. RJ, it's a fair question. To me at this point, it would be a double trade down, although it's probably unlikely. If the Lions can trade with Miami to get to number five and then say Carolina or the Colts want to try to jump the Chargers or the Chargers want to go up one spot to ensure they get their guy to land Justin Herbert or whoever else it would be at number five, the Lions could create more draft capital, still end up with an Isaiah Simmons, Jeffrey Okuda, or Derek Brown at say number six or number seven, or maybe a Javon Kinlaw. Kalevion Chason or Henry Ruggs at number 13, and that would still not be a bad move for Detroit. That, to me, would be ideal if they're trying to trade down. Josh Newman, who's at Josh Newman, Josh E. Newman asks, what's the most the Lions can expect in return for the number three pick? Which team is most likely to trade up for it? Honestly, at this point, it depends what the market can create which I've said multiple times on this podcast. Do Miami, Carolina, the Chargers, and Colts all put in offers? If so, Detroit can drive the price up. Does it turn out that no one really ends up all that interested because Miami believes it can wait till number five to get him? Then the Lions are in a little bit more trouble getting a decent haul. But to me, at least a second round pick or a future first, or in Miami's case, maybe a future first late this year, would make it happen. It would also depend on how far the Lions would be dropping back. Going to number 13, for instance, where the Colts are, would require more of a haul than going to 5 or 6. UMGoBlue14 asks, Sam Martin a better punter than Yale Larry? Need to look into Lions history. Listen, man, I get what you're saying. And I'm assuming this is in reference to my free agency story on Friday, which covered all of the Lions' potential free agents and referenced Sam Martin. You should go on ESPN.com and read that, by the way. Was Yale Larry the better overall football player? There's no question. He's a Hall of Famer. No question at all. Sam Martin would likely tell you that, too. But as a pure punter, Martin has the edge to me. Yeah, advancements in technology and bodies certainly helps, but his year-over-year numbers were better than Larry's as a punter, and it's a much different era. So Larry would 
just have likely been a defensive back in today's NFL and not a punter except in an emergency? It's a fair question and a good one because both are very good at punting, but I would go with Sam Martin personally. Kevin Forsyth at KP Forsyth asks, could the Lions use a sizable bonus and voidable last year to structure a Darius Slay contract that works for the Lions in the short term, give Slay the respect he wants, and not create too much dead cap at the end of the contract? Yeah, it's possible, but remember, this is likely the last big deal Darius Slay is going to get. And he's likely looking at something in the 16 to $17 million a year range to get it done. So would the Lions and Slay do a two-year, $33 million extension? Potentially, depending on how much of that was guaranteed and how they spread it out. Bob Quinn likes the voidable years to spread out the bonus, and he's used it on multiple contracts over the last two seasons. But not knowing what the new CBA might look like could also scuttle that as well and throw an extra bit of a wrench and an extra bit of questions into all of this. There's also the probability, by the way, that Slay plays well enough to actually play out a three-year deal on his own, and to me, he consider walking away at that point. So he knows that this is probably his last really big payday, depending on the scenario and the length of his contract. He's been pretty open, like many players are, of looking at 10 years as a benchmark. One of Slay's mentors, Glover Quinn, essentially played 10 seasons and had enough. So a three-year deal might end up being what Darius Slay wants. It might make both sides happy. He's been open about things in the past, that is Darius Slay, but it's not entirely clear where it stands other than Slay believes he should be paid. And in many ways, rightfully so. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks, as always, to Blue Wire and Regents Field for hosting this podcast and my producers, Stephen Arkinall and David Woodley. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein and read me at ESPN.com. Give our new Facebook group a follow. That's The Michael Rothstein Show. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review along with subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play as we continue to grow. We'll chat with you again on Thursday with an NFL draft prospect.